three times, sighting along the barrel. Each of the three shots went exactly where Kane had intended them to go, into the garage wall above and slightly to the left of the man there. The man threw himself to the white gravel drive, rolling swiftly toward the green hedge on his right. Kane dropped the automatic into the overnight bag, slid over under the wheel with his left hand, he released the parking brake, with his right hand he dropped the automatic transmission into drive. The rear tires on the sedan screamed against the pavement as Kane's foot bore down on the accelerator. He had time for one quick glance in the direction of the garage. The man lay partially hidden in the shadow of the hedge, head raised slightly looking toward him. And then the sedan was moving away, gathering speed. In his rearview mirror, Kane could see lights being flicked on in neighboring houses. He took the first corner left, and when he had cleared the intersection, he switched on his headlights. Two more blocks and a right turn, and Kane reduced his speed to the legal limit of 25. Just short of half an hour later, he re-entered the San Francisco city and county limits. He exited the Bayshore Freeway at Army Street, turning right off there on Harrison, and parked the sedan in front of a warehouse driveway. He got out then, taking the overnight bag, and walked quickly up three blocks to Mission Street. He caught almost immediately a municipal railway bus downtown. He left the Muni at 6th and walked up to Cross Market. On the corner of Taylor and Geary, he entered the Graceling Hotel, registered under the name of Philip Storm, and was given a room on the third floor. Inside the room, he removed the gun from the bag, oiled and cleaned it, and reloaded the clip from a box of shells. When he finished, he replaced the automatic in the bag, put it under the bed, and lay down on top of the sheets. It was almost dawn before he finally slept. The man who had been shot at in Hillsborough was named James Agenrood. Following the shooting, he sat in his mahogany-paneled book-lined study. He was alone. His wife, who had been badly frightened, had taken several sleeping pills and gone to bed. Agenrood poured brandy from a crystal decanter into an expensive snifter and tasted it without his usual enjoyment of the imported liquor. He had regained his composure, but his nerves were still agitated. He tasted the brandy again and then slid the telephone toward him across the desk, dialed a number. It rang several times. Finally, a sleepy voice said, Hello? Lynn? Yes? Jim? It's a hell of a time night to be calling him, by Jim, a sleepy voice said irritably. Agenrood took a measured breath. Somebody tried to kill me tonight, he said. What? Yes, about an hour ago. There was silence for a moment, and then the voice, which was no longer sleepy, said, Do you have any idea who it was? No. Professional? I'd say so. He seemed to know my habits, that I'd always go to the club on Wednesday nights, and that I usually get home around 1.30. He was waiting out on the street. Just one man? I think so. Did you get a look at him? It was too dark. How about the car? Dark, sedan, maybe last year's, Agenrud said. I saw part of the license plate, DRD. Did you call the police? No. I made sure the neighbors didn't either. I'll get somebody on it right away. I'd appreciate it, Len. Listen, Jim, whoever it was isn't affiliated with us. You know you're standing with the national office. I, I, I don't think he was. Well, just so you know. Thanks, Len. I'll drop by your office tomorrow. All right. And, Jim, be careful, will you? Agenrud laughed, but there was no trace of humor in his gray eyes. I'll do that. Don't worry. He cradled the receiver, lifted the decanter of brandy again. He poured another drink, his fifth since the shooting. 
He sat staring into the snifter. His face in the pale light from his desk lamp was an inscrutable mask etched of solid stone. Kane awoke at eleven the next morning, dressed leisurely, and then called room service and ordered a pot of coffee and some buttered toast. When it arrived, he carried it to the small writing desk. In one of its drawers, he found notepaper in plain white envelopes and several soft lead pencils. He printed a short two-paragraph note on one of the pieces of paper, folded it, and slipped it into an envelope. He addressed the envelope, sealed it, finished his breakfast, put on his overcoat, and went out to the elevator. In a drugstore two blocks from the Graceling Hotel, Kane bought a 22-cent stamp. There was a mailbox on the opposite corner, and he dropped the envelope inside after noting on the front the times that mail was picked up there. Before returning to the Graceling, Kane bought a newspaper from one of the sidewalk vendors. In his room, he read it carefully. There was no mention.